Amen. Thank you. You can be seated this morning. Thank you so much, you guys, for playing, and that was awesome. My Nikki, seriously, one of my main goals is to stay out of the way, and I was a complete distraction. Sorry about that. Sorry. Um, they give me these notes that say, like, this is when you're supposed to come up, and I just came up at the wrong time. So sorry to distract that time of singing there. But uh, I'll try to stay out of the way the rest of the service here. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 25. And um, I don't know about you, like, can uh, and all the praise, all the glory goes to God, of course. But, man, isn't it great when skilled musicians use their giftedness? Like, can you guys just give a hand to those that are... I think it's awesome. Um, and that's what we've been talking about the last five weeks is how the Holy Spirit gifts each and every one of us as Christians. We've been talking about spiritual gifts. But before I dive into the message, I just, I, I just want to say, man, God is blessing this place. God is blessing Grace Church. Grace Church is growing. And uh, seriously, we, we don't have enough small groups for all the people that would like to be in a small group. We did a survey some time back. And currently, uh, we discovered through that survey that currently close to 60 people are not in a small group but would like to be in one. And uh, that's a problem. That's a clearly defined problem. And so let me just share with you quickly before we dive into the message, I want to share with you our game plan to fix that problem. In January of 2015, we're, we're, we're going to get through the holidays. Holidays, November, December, you know, it's hectic for everybody. But in January, we, we plan to start a leader small group. And it's going to be filled with potential leaders. Uh, The group is going to focus on developing and preparing uh, leaders for small groups. And so uh, they're going to meet and uh, we're going to talk to them about what a small group should look like, different ideas on how to lead a small group. And when they're ready, we're going to launch new small groups. Um, So we hope to have enough groups for everyone that desires to be in a group uh, by the middle of 2015. You say, man, that's a long time away from now. Yeah, it is, but I I just want you to know we're trying to learn from our mistakes, and what we've done in the past is we've put people in leadership too quickly. We were trying to solve problems, and it's like, let's just put someone in there, and we found that people were getting burnt out, or maybe they just weren't ready, you know? So we're trying to just slow down and take our time and make sure that when you get into a small group, it's a healthy, healthy group. And uh, so we've learned to just be patient, to take our time. And uh, what I would encourage you to do, if you're wanting to be in a small group, um, you can still do some things, okay? Um, I want you to be patient with us, if you can, and focus on next steps. And by next steps, I mean take the shape inventory. We've talked about that through the uh, spiritual gifts uh, series that we've been talking about here the last five weeks. Um, sign up at the Welcome Center shape inventory. It helps you to learn how God has wired you, how He has gifted you, what your experiences are, what your personality is. And it just it's a tool that we use here at Grace Church uh, to help you discover your spiritual gift. And then I'd also encourage you to just start serving. Um, it's, man, it's never too late to serve, all right? Just get plugged in, start serving in and around Grace Church. Uh, so that's what I would encourage you to do in the meantime. Uh, but, man, please be in prayer for us. Please be in prayer for our small groups. Um, really excited. We have clear direction. We have some really good potential leaders, and we're going to do our best to prepare them and equip them as best we can, and we're going to be launching some new groups next year. Um, so that I just wanted to give you an update um, about our small group situation. 
All right, we've got a lot to talk. We've got a lot to talk about today, so let's get right to it. Okay, we're in week five of dealing with spiritual gifts, and uh, the, you know the Holy Spirit gives each of us as Christians a gift to use for His kingdom. And today we're going to deal with the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy. And uh, I'm going to start by defining what these gifts are because I, I think much of the confusion surrounding these gifts is a misunderstanding as to what the terms even mean, okay? So we're going to start with the gift of tongues. When your Bible uses the word tongues, it literally means languages, okay? That's the literal meaning of the word in Scripture. The Greek word is gloxa, which means language, all right? That's what it's referring to. So there's various languages, wouldn't we agree? If you go to Germany, you speak German, If you go to Mexico, you speak Spanish. If you go to Korea, you speak Korean. If you go to Texas, you speak hillbilly, right? (laughs) Let me me ask you, what what language are we going to speak in heaven? Ooh, that's kind of fun thought, huh? I know one thing, it's not going to be English. So when I talk about tongues, I'm talking about languages, different languages. When it comes to the gift of tongues, we reject two extreme positions. One position says, everyone must speak in tongues. There's a lot of churches that believe this. So in order to have the Holy Spirit, they say, you have to speak in tongues. And we reject that position. Paul made it clear, we all have different gifts. And the proof that you have the Holy Spirit is that you love and you serve Jesus. That's the proof that you have the Holy Spirit in your life. Now, the other extreme position is called a cessationist position. This position believes that the gift of tongues no longer exists today. It was for the New Testament, but it wasn't for today. And we reject both of those positions. One position saying that God can't use this gift any longer, um, and one saying that you have to speak in tongues. So, in the New Testament we see three different expressions of tongues. So, to rightly divide the Word of God, I have to tell you about all the examples that I see in the Scripture. Because here's the temptation. Some pastors are tempted to leave a couple things out. They'll see an example of how tongues is kind of manifested or or expressed, and it's like, oh, man, that's uncomfortable. So I'm going to just ignore that uh, because... It's uncomfortable, or maybe because it's going to tick some people off. But I'm here to tell you that I cannot, as a pastor, be a coward, and I can't be afraid of you. So here we go, all right? So the first expression of tongues is simply this. It's a private prayer language. By the way, I just want you to know, I want to be upfront with you, I don't have the gift of tongues. But those who have this gift, some, some great friends of mine, they tell me, for example, that they'll be praying at home in English, and then all of a sudden they'll start praying in a heavenly language. It's a language that they don't even understand, they don't know, but it connects them to the Lord in a very powerful way. Now once again, this is what I've been told. I haven't experienced this because I don't have this gift. So... 101, right? As a Christian, we can't just base things on 
experiences. A lot of people have experiences that are not of God. And that's a mistake commonly made by Christians. So we have to see it in the Scripture. We have to see it. It has to be there for us to believe it. And we do see this example in Scripture. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 14, Paul said that he privately prayed in tongues and he didn't understand what he was saying. Some people say, and there's no such thing as praying in tongues. Paul said, I pray in tongues. So one expression of the gift of tongues is a private prayer language that's unknown to the one praying, but it edifies and it encourages them in the Lord. You know, some here would say, sometimes I privately pray in tongues. And we would say, that's one of the ways the gift expresses itself, and we see a clear example in the Scriptures. Now, the second expression of the gift of tongues is what I call the missionary gift. That's the way I refer to it. And we see an example of this in Acts chapter 2 at the day of Pentecost. All kinds of people from different towns, different cities, different cultures, and different backgrounds, they were together in one place. So kind of think like New York City, okay? Just a ton of people speaking a ton of different languages, a ton of different dialects, a ton of different cultures, a ton of different backgrounds. And they were all together for this huge celebration referred to as the Harvest Festival. And then God, in, the, in Acts chapter 2, God the Holy Spirit literally came upon His servants, the Christian leaders. And they started preaching about Jesus to the people. So was, they were doing just like I'm doing. They were preaching to a bunch of people that spoke a bunch of different languages. The amazing thing is, is everyone listening could hear and understand what they were preaching in their own language, their own dialect. It was, it was truly supernatural. So one man was preaching the truth of Jesus and everyone could understand what he was saying. It was a gift from the Holy Spirit. And the Scripture says, on that day, 3,000 people gave their lives to Jesus Christ. So, so let me ask you, could God still do this today? Absolutely. He's God. He's God. Absolutely. Now, the third expression of tongues is the most controversial of them all. And it's what, man, just for me and my brain to help me understand it, it's what I call an ambassador language. Okay? God is the king. He is the king of all kings. I've heard it put this way. He's the boss of all your bosses. Okay? He is the king. And in His kingdom... He speaks His own language. So when God wants to speak to us, He chooses a Christian with the gift of tongues and they speak the heavenly language. Are you uncomfortable yet? But as you'll see, okay, a little bit later, there's always a translator. Always. Or one who interprets, which is also a gift from the Holy Spirit. So it has to be translated into English So we know what the heck you're talking about. Okay? That's the gift of tongues. And we're going to talk about the guiding principles. We're going to talk about the guiding rules surrounding the gift of tongues in just a few minutes. The second gift that we're going to look at today is the gift of prophecy. 
Once again, man, lots of debate, lots of confusion surrounding this gift. So I want to start, first of all, by uh, talking about the Old Testament position of a prophet. Okay, There was a lot of prophets in the Old Testament. The Old Testament prophet would hear from God, and then they would communicate the truth of God to the masses. Some were speaking prophets, some were writing prophets, and some did both. When you think of Old Testament prophets, uh, we're talking about Moses, we're talking about Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. We're talking about the guys who gave us the Old Testament. Now these men were literally the mouthpiece for God. And when they spoke, they spoke with the highest authority. They spoke and they wrote for God, reminding the people to repent of sin and to turn back to God. When you read the Old Testament... There's hundreds and hundreds of prophecies that all came true in perfect detail. Many of them surrounded the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And by the way, the Bible has been accurate 100% of the time. Okay? I just want you to know that. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, in your Old Testament, we see two qualifications to be an Old Testament prophet. First of all, An Old Testament prophet couldn't contradict Scripture. Okay, so anyone who came along and they prophesied against the Scriptures, they were a false prophet immediately. You knew that because they couldn't contradict Scripture. Secondly, true Old Testament prophets, they had to bat a thousand. All right? On their prophecies, if one single prophecy didn't come true, the Bible says they were to be put to death. That's a good way to weed out true or false prophets, okay? They had to bat a thousand on their prophecies. So so there are real prophets and there are false prophets. Real prophets agree with Scripture and they bat a thousand. Old Testament, just so you know, Old Testament prophets, they don't exist today. Let me just be clear and upfront with you. Someone that says that they've written new books of the Bible is a false prophet. Because the Scripture says it's kind of like bookends. In the book of Deuteronomy and in the book of Revelation, it says don't add to and don't take away from this book. Okay, We're not to add to, we're not to take away from, from this book. So anyone that says, hey, I've written new books of the Bible, they are a false prophet. So, so how do we protect ourselves from false prophets? Jesus... John, Paul, they all said that false prophets are going to rise up in every generation. Every generation is going to see false prophets. They they lie to people. They lead people astray. They deceive people. False prophets exist today. You're like, man, this is just kooky stuff. This is so weird. No, no, it's real. Listen, false prophets, they exist today. I'll give you two examples. Mormonism. It was founded by a man named Joseph Smith. And he said he was a prophet of God, but he wasn't because he doesn't meet the qualifications. What he says doesn't agree with the Bible, and what he says doesn't point people to the Jesus of the Bible. The second example would be Muhammad. And two of the largest religions on our planet founded by false prophets. Islam 
was founded by a self-proclaimed prophet named Muhammad. We believe Muhammad's a false prophet because he doesn't agree with the Bible and he doesn't point people to the Jesus of the Bible. Therefore, he's a false prophet. That's why we're Christians, not Muslims. And there is a big difference between the two. If you follow a false prophet, you'll end up joining a false religion. You'll end up worshiping a false god. And the Scripture says, unless you put your faith in the Jesus of the Bible, you'll end up in hell. And I tell you this, church, like, is this the easiest thing for me to say, especially in our day and age? Nope. But I tell you this because I want you to be discerning. I don't want you to end up in some cult, like wearing white shoes, drinking Kool-Aid. Okay? I want you to be discerning and to know who false prophets are. We've got to be good at recognizing false prophets. Let me give you a quick reference uh, to recognize false prophets. First of all, the Scripture says false prophets, they're able to do counterfeit signs and wonders. You know why? Because they're serving a powerful being. His name is Satan. So just because someone does something cool doesn't mean they're speaking for God. Also, the prophecies of a false prophet they will not be 100% accurate. You know why? Because Satan doesn't know the future like God does. So false prophets, man, they will deceive many people. Often they will have large followings of people who celebrate the prophet more than they celebrate Jesus Christ. That's a problem. Okay? If ever this church gets to the point where I'm being celebrated or a man is being lifted higher or a woman then Jesus Christ, you better get scared quick. That's a problem. Just because there's a big crowd doesn't mean truth is being spoken. Circuses have big crowds. Come on. Okay? Lastly, false prophets are always in it for the money. They will give you a word of prophecy for $29.95. Okay? They're always in it for, to make a buck. So, so what is prophecy then? L like tongues, I believe there are three expressions of prophecy that we can see in the Bible. Okay, the, the first expression that we can see is the, is the proclamation of God's Word. Exactly what I'm doing to you today. I am prophesying to you today. I'm proclaiming the truth of God's Word. So prophecy is proclaiming the Word of God as truth so people will, will repent of sin and turn to Jesus in faith. Now, the most, the most common use of the word prophecy is the proclamation of God's Word. That's the most common use that we'll see in the Scriptures. You can see some references. I put some references in your notes on the back of the bullets in there. You can look those up in your own time. Um, so, the second expression of prophecy is a little more controversial, Okay? It's the foretelling of the future. Just so you know, 25% of the Bible, roughly, is prophetic in nature. Predicting some future event 
most of them surrounding the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Listen, Jesus is the centerpiece of prophecy. He is our prophet. Okay, All the prophecies are pointing to Jesus Christ. There have been times when God has, for, for a church like ours, given a word of prophecy, telling them of a coming future event so they could be prepared. Now the reason God, once again, the reason God can show someone the future is because He has perfect knowledge of all things. He's sovereign. He knows the past. He knows the present. He knows the future. And since God knows the future, He can reveal future events so that we can be prepared. A couple examples I want to give you from the Bible. In Acts chapter 11, verses 27 through 29, God gave a man named Agabus a vision of a coming famine. He told Christians uh, to get ready so they wouldn't starve to death. So he said, hey, you need to get ready. You need to get ready to feed your family. You need to get ready to take care of your neighbors. So God speaks to Agabus. He tells him there's a famine coming, and he tells him to go tell all the Christians. And uh, here's, here's what we need to understand about this example from Acts chapter 11, verses 27 through 29. Agabus was a godly man. He loved Jesus. He had proven character. He's in, in, in his prediction, you could say, he's not contradicting Scripture. Agabus was doctrinally sound, and he was also he had also been tested and approved by the leaders of the church. He prophesied that a famine was coming, and guess what came? A famine. Okay? So, so why did I just say all that to you? Because there is no example in the New Testament of some random Joe giving prophecies. Okay? If someone were to come in off the street and says, hey, the Lord told me to tell you that you all need to sell your homes. You all need to sell your homes and you all need to move away. That's what the Lord has said. I would say, we love you. Jesus loves you, but you need to lay off the gin. Okay? Seriously. That wasn't from God. But let's say someone we really trust in Grace Church, let's say one of our elders, one of our leaders, comes and says, and usually it's in the way that it's presented, right? Gosh, guys, I don't know, man. But the Lord clearly showed me that we need to do this or that. It's in a humble way. It's not demanding. I'm just suggesting that we would be foolish not to pay attention. Let's say my dad was to say, gosh, the Lord showed me, Justin, that we need to go this way. I would be foolish not to pay attention to that. If it doesn't contradict the Bible, and if it doesn't distract from Jesus... We better pay attention. Sadly, all we've seen in this country is abuse. Okay, we've, we've all heard that the end of the world is coming 55 times, right? Or more. Maybe you bought the canned goods and the bottled water, right? And you just feel so fooled and foolish. You've heard so many prophecies 
And, and you're like, okay, enough, you know, enough. This is so stupid. Like, stop predicting floods and earthquakes that don't happen. Stop telling us that we're all going to get Humvees, you know. Stop predicting. Knock it off. I don't want to hear it anymore. I don't want to get my hopes up or I don't want to get my fears up. Just leave me alone. You might be to the point where you treat prophecies with contempt. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, not to scoff at prophecies. This is challenging for me, church. Don't scoff at prophecies, but he says, test everything. Test it. How do we test it? Right here, folks, with the Word of God. Church, we have the complete revelation of the Bible. It's our highest authority, and we test everything through the Scriptures. As Christians, this is our supreme court. Okay? We take what is said by potential prophets or pastors or spiritual leaders. You need to take what I say, and you need to test it by the Bible. Because... No one is above the Bible. Everyone is under the Scriptures. So, so let me ask you bluntly, how do, how do you, how do, how do I, how do we protect ourselves from wingnuts, man? From false prophets and false prophecies. They're, they're out there. They're everywhere, it seems like, sometimes. Let me just give you a couple things to consider. Is the prophecy that has been spoken, is it consistent with God's Word? Is the, is the source, whoever's saying, Man, I, the Lord showed me this or that, is the source proven? Is it some random Joe or someone that's proven themselves to be trusted? Are they godly? I mean, is their life a train wreck? Right? Or do they have fruit in their life? Are they godly? Are they doctrinally sound? Have they been tested and approved by the leaders of the church? You know, for example, are are your spiritual leaders, and you need to have some spiritual leaders in your life, but are your spiritual leaders saying, don't listen to that clown, man. Seriously, stay away. That guy is is trouble. You'd better pay attention to that counsel. The Bible also says that you will know them by their fruit. Now, we're not supposed to judge whether or not someone's going to heaven or hell, but we are supposed to be fruit inspectors. Okay? If there is no fruit in their life, don't let them be your guide. So that's tongues and prophecy defined. Okay? That's my introduction. Hope you packed a lunch. All right. So now that we've defined tongues and prophecy, I want to look at the rules that govern how tongues and prophecy are used in the church. And let me just say something really quickly, just by a couple of the looks on your faces. You're like, why are we... This is just... Ah, this, what, I don't get it. I don't know tongues. This is so weird. Why are we talking about this? Because the way we roll here at Grace Church is we study the Bible. And I saw it in the Bible and we have to deal with it. Okay? That's just how we roll. So, if it's kind of annoying, I apologize. There's just no way for me to get around it. Okay? Because I have to answer to the Lord. 
So chapter 14, verse 1, let's look at the, the rules that govern how tongues and prophecy are used in the church. Okay? And I know some of you are here like, what? There was rules around it? Yep. We serve a God of order. And uh, so let's, let's look at that. 1 Corinthians 14.1. Paul says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So Paul says, Love, church. Remember, last Sunday we talked about it a lot. Love should be our highest goal. That should be all of our focus is love. Okay? Let's all pursue love. We should respect all the gifts. We should desire that the church would have all the gifts. All right? That kind of leads me to a thought. There needs to be enough people in the church to have all the varying gifts. Okay? That's why I'm frustrated with churches that have the mentality of us four and no more. Or a family church that purposefully keeps itself small. Because you can't have all the gifts with ten people. Okay? It takes more than that. You know what a good, healthy, strong church looks like? It has multiple generations, multiple races, different backgrounds. It takes the diversity of God's people to really see the fullness of the body of Christ. Diversity is our strength. Paul says, if you want to value any of the gifts, you need to value prophecy. I believe here he's talking about the preaching and the teaching of God's Word. That's the one thing that that keeps the church focused on Jesus. It keeps everyone on mission. And it keeps us unified. And when the Bible is rightly taught, people will know their giftings, they will know who Jesus is, and they will live their lives to His glory. So he says, respect all the gifts. And if you want to honor one gift, honor the teaching and the preaching of God's Word. Verse 2, For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. Okay, Speaking of the prayer language. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. If you have the gift of praying in tongues, it's between you and God because no one else understands you. And we don't, we don't know what you're talking about. We, we love you, but you're not making any sense. Okay? So praying in tongues should be done in private, at home. Because here, we, we, we don't know what you're talking about. This isn't the place. He goes on in verse 3. On the other hand, the one who prophesies, okay, the one who speaks the Bible, proclaims the truth of God's Word, speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Paul, he makes a distinction here. He says tongues isn't, isn't a bad thing, but it's, it's not good for the large group gathering. Preaching, however, is good for all of us. It's a good thing. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. Now, it's not a bad thing to be built up, but the whole point of a spiritual gift is to build up the whole body. Okay, So if you're using your gift and you're the only one that's edified, and that's the only way that you're serving your church, you're being childish. You're saying it's about me, not about us. But the one who prophesies builds up the church. Bible preaching builds up the church. He goes on in verse 5. Now I want you all to speak in tongues. 
Like, is Paul against speaking in tongues? No. But he says it better be done biblically, lovingly, and you should be considerate of others. If we do that, church, everything's going to be fine. Okay? But even more, he says, to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Paul says preaching is above tongues. That's why the majority of our time is spent preaching the Bible. We don't get together to have a tongue a thon, right? We won't do that. All right? We're just not going to do that. Verse 6. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute that we so beautifully heard this morning, or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? You have to play the right notes. And if the bugle doesn't give, or I'm sorry, if if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for the manifestations of the Spirit, here's what we are to do. Strive to excel in the building up of the church. That's what we should be focused on. That's what we should strive after. Paul says, okay, you you may have the gift of tongues. You you show up at church and you're speaking sugada sugadas, but we don't have any clue what you're talking about. Paul, he's starting to get very direct. Remember, he's rebuking this church. You know, we love you. We're glad you're fired up for Jesus. But you kind of have your own little party going on and the rest of us are feeling left out. We're feeling confused. We don't know what's going on here. And Paul says, this, speaking of the church gathering, isn't the place for that. I know some of you come from churches where everyone is speaking in tongues at the same time. Everyone's screaming or shouting or yelling, waving hankies, playing tambourines. It's just a real crazy environment. And I'm here to tell you that those are immature childish, selfish, Corinthian-type worship services. I know that sounds really harsh, but that's exactly what was going on in Corinth. We're not supposed to be like the Corinthians. They were getting drunk at communion. They were sleeping with each other. It's not a church we're to model ourselves after. Paul's rebuking them. He's telling them to quit acting like babies. He's telling them, knock it off. It's time for you to grow up. They were caught up in the emotion of things. But they weren't being loving and considerate of those who were totally lost. Look at verse 13. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret. Okay, If a tongue is spoken, an interpretation must be given so everyone knows what you're talking about. 
For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. My spirit is connecting with God. It's not a bad thing, but it's not sufficient. But my mind, Paul says, is unfruitful. I don't, I don't know what I'm saying. What am I to do, he asks. I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. Paul's saying, hey, even in private, if you have the gift of tongues, you should pray in the spirit and you should pray in English. You should do both. I will sing praise, Paul says, with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Okay, it's, an, it's important, church. It's important to know what you're praying, to know what you're singing. Verse 16. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? Let's, let's put ourselves, quit thinking about yourself, and let's put ourselves in the shoes of someone that comes in off the street and they're a skeptic, you know? They don't know about this whole Jesus thing and this Bible and they got so many questions. Let's put ourselves in their shoes for just a moment. He goes on, For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person, the outsider, is not being built up. So if, if you're speaking in tongues, like you're having a good old time, the guy next to you doesn't know what you're saying. And what if that person, what if that person is a Christian, or isn't a Christian, rather? You haven't loved him, you haven't prayed for him, you haven't talked to him, you haven't shook his hand. You've totally ignored him. Is he experiencing the love of God? No. What you've just done is you've just completely ignored him. Church, we don't come here to do our own thing. Okay, our, our focus should be strengthening those around us. All right? I should be looking out for you. You should be looking out for me. We're here for each other. We're building up each other. We're not supposed to be selfish. Verse 18, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Paul had the gift of tongues. It's a good thing, providing it's used biblically for the edification of the church and it's also done in a way that's loving and considerate of others. Nevertheless, he says in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. That, friends, is pretty clear. I don't need to say anything else about that verse right there. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants and evil, but in your thinking, be mature. And then he quotes Isaiah 28, 11 and 12. He says, In the law it was written, By people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Just because you hear tongues doesn't mean the Holy Spirit's at work. Paul says, Don't be so childish. Don't be so gullible. Do you hate sin? Do you love Jesus? Here's a good question. Are you loving people? Are you considerate of others? Are you doing things biblically? Do you understand the distinction between a private prayer language and corporate worship? If not, what's coming out of your mouth is just a bunch of noise. 
In First Corinthians chapter 13, he said it's like it'd be like I grab a couple symbols and I just clap them on your head. It's it's just a bunch of noise. The gifts still exist today, but they should be done biblically, lovingly, and in a way that won't cause division. And in, if we do it that way, we're not going to have any problems. Listen. The problem is never the gift. The problem is the person using a gift in the wrong way. Verse 22. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers. Okay? He's speaking of the missionary gift. Okay? It's, for, it's to tell people about Jesus. While prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers but for believers. The preaching of God's word helps us to grow closer to Jesus Christ. If, therefore, the whole church comes together, just like we did today, and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? All right. If I were to say, just travel with me, okay? If I were to just say, all right, on the count of three, everyone lock and load and get after it. Like, we're going to have a speaking in tongues festival right now. Go. Let's just say we did that. Now, we're not going to do that. If you're Pentecostal, sit down. I'm just giving an example, okay? If we did that and someone new comes in, you know, let's, let's say maybe Frankie from the south side walks in, or let's say you bring your non-Christian friend that you've been praying would come to church, what are they going to think? They're going to think we're nuts. They're going to think we're crazy, how, how would you feel? Let's just be really practical about this. How would you feel if you finally got your neighbor, your coworker, or that family member that you've been praying for to finally come to church? They finally come and they walk into a tongues festival. Gosh, man, that'd be devastating. You'd be apologizing to them all the way home. Like, I'm, I'm sorry, so sorry. It's not usually like that. I'll pay for the therapist, you know, whatever. I'll make, I'll make the wrong right. The fact is, I mean, I, I think you would agree with me that you want your friends at church so they can hear about Jesus. We don't want to make it more difficult for them to come to faith. We want to try to stay out of the way. Verse 24. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, okay, What's going to be happening? They're going to be learning the Bible. The Bible's being preached. They're, they're agreeing with sound doctrine. Listen, what's going to happen to the unbeliever, the outsider? He is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. I don't know about you, but I want that environment where people are changed and transformed. And it's not about me. It's about Jesus. We focus on preaching and teaching the Bible so that you can see Jesus. So that your friends and your neighbors and your coworkers can come and see Jesus. It's all about Christ. We want you to bring your friends and your family and your coworkers and your neighbors and we want, we, we want them to have a great experience. We don't want them to freak out. 
say, that's just crazy. So let me just say, if you're gifted with the prayer language, that's great. But do it in private. This, this isn't the place for it. Spiritual gifts are different ways we can love each other better. Like the whole point, once again, is love, church. If someone comes in and they're love, let's say you shake their hand, you love them, you care for them, uh, man, you're, you take them to lunch afterwards, you're a kind host, you bring them into that kind of environment, and, and then they sit down and we sing wonderful songs of worship to a great God, a God that loves them, and then they, they hear a message where we talk about sin and we talk about Jesus, and we talk about how Jesus lived without sin and how He came to earth to die to pay the penalty for our sin. We talk about how Jesus rose from the death, rose from death conquering our enemies, Satan, sin, and death. And we share with them how we can be reconciled back to God through faith in Jesus Christ. We tell them how He's changing us every day, day in and day out, to be more and more like Him. And one day, we will see Him face to face. We will be made perfect physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, will be fully redeemed, fully restored. The whole point is Jesus. All the gifts exist to point people to Christ. That's why we even have the gifts, is to point people to Jesus. And if at any time a gift is used in a way that distracts from Jesus... It's not being used biblically, lovingly, or respectfully. So this morning, I ask you to respond. You know, church, some dear friends of mine, man, are facing some incredible health issues. It seems like cancer. I just hear about this more and more. And I, I just want us to grasp this morning how incredible the truth of God's Word is, when we see Jesus face to face, we will be made perfect physically, spiritually, emotionally, and mentally. Church, let's be unified. What I've been talking about here this morning are non-essentials. I'm not saying, hey, you have to believe like I believe. I'm saying this is to the best of my studies. This is, this is what I got. But you know what? Let's not let this stuff divide us. This stuff has caused division between Christians for far too long. So let's not, let's not focus on the non-essentials. Let's focus on the essential, and that's Jesus. Okay? Ah, man, that would be good. So this morning I ask you to respond. If you're not a Christian today, man, I, I just encourage you to become one. You say, I got a ton of questions. Good, I still got some too. Let's talk, man. Seriously. Ask your questions. Both the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy, you know what it tells us about our God? It tells us that He's a living God. And it tells us that He's a speaking God. If you want to hear from Him, read your Bible. There, 
He's going to speak to you about Jesus. So give your life to Jesus today. Become a follower. Become a disciple. Which the word disciple means a learner. Man, just become a learner of Jesus Christ. Follow Him. If you're a Christian here today, I'm going to ask you to respond by repenting of sin. Man, my job is to challenge you, to push you. And I say, Christian, if you're here and you're kind of caught up in your self-righteousness and you think you know it all, you're dangerous. Okay? Man, be in this position of awe. Like, Go to the Scripture with fresh eyes. Say, God, show me. Don't be self-righteous. Don't be so arrogant to think you know it all. Repent of that sin and ask God to help you use your gifts in a way that builds up the church. And I hope people come in here and they're like, what in the heck is going on in this place? Because I see Jesus all over it, man. Gosh. I hope we can be that church. I went long and we covered a lot today. Uh, Man, thank you for your patience. Thank you. Let me close in prayer. I'm going to go ahead and invite the band to come on up. And they're actually going to lead us in a song of response. But let me close in prayer before they do that, okay? Lord Jesus, I'm so thankful that you're the living God. I'm so thankful you're a speaking God. And and you'll go to great lengths like prophecy and tongues to communicate with us. Like we're just, we're nothing. But yet, in your eyes, we're everything because you You gave Your Son to die for us. Jesus, I pray You would give us ears to hear. Those of us that are, man, we just have so many questions, Lord. I pray that You'd begin to answer our questions. I pray that we'd begin to take that journey to discover the answers by looking to Your Word, by spending time with godly people, by being in Your church. I pray those of us who are not Christians would become followers of You today. Lord, help us as Christians to not only know our gift, but to use it in a way that's loving and biblical. To use our gifts to unify the church and not to cause division. I pray against division. And I pray these doctrines that we've talked about, I pray that it wouldn't divide us. I pray that we would all pursue the love of Jesus and the love of one another. Let's just start there. Like, Forget about the non-essentials for a minute. Let's just focus on loving Jesus and let's focus on loving each other better. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.